0: Good morning. Today is Sunday, October 10th, 2021. Almost as soon as Sarah and Avraham and Lot arrive in Canaan, which becomes Israel, at the command of Hashem, Lech Lecha, they're required to leave. There's a famine in the land, and they go to Egypt where there is food. And the Torah says as follows: By Hiruv Ba'oretz there was a famine in the land, vayered Avram et Reumah laGursham, ki kaved haruv ba'oretz. Vayehi kasher hikriv la'vamatrim. And it was as they were about to approach Egypt, bayomeral Sarai ishto, Avram said to Sarai his wife, "Hineh nayadati, I realize that you are an exceedingly beautiful, physically beautiful woman. And it's going to happen that if the Egyptians say, Who is this woman? and we are to answer, Well, she is my wife. They're going to kill me and take you. Therefore, Avram says to Sarah, Imrina, please, I'm asking you for this favor. Say, if anyone asks who you are, Achosiat, say that you are my sister. Laman yitav li in order that it should be good for me, on your account. V'chaysa nafshi biglaleif, and my life will be spared because of you. It's a shocking passage because what about the moral issue? How could Avraham lie and ask Sarah to lie and potentially, and actually as the story unfolds, put Sarah in danger? Because as we know, Sarah is taken to Pharaoh's palace and she is put in danger. So how could Avram say something that might save him but it puts her in greater danger? Plus does Avram actually mean to suggest that he may benefit from this scenario in order that it should be good for me? Wait a second, where's the morality in that? You say something that's going to put you in danger in order that it should be good for me. Is this the right person for God to choose to start the Jewish people and the Jewish nation and Jewish values? How is the morality of this scene supposed to work out? This week, as we study the Parsha of Lech Lecha. We begin again the study of our Avos and Imahos, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, and the other heroes of the Torah about whom we will learn in the coming weeks and months. About whom we are taught, Ma se Avos Siman Labanim, The actions of our patriarchs and matriarchs, they're not just history. They're not just stories for us. They are siman labanim. They are signposts for us, guiding us through life. They are lessons in values that we are supposed to emulate. They set the means and the patterns and the norms for how Jews should act. And in doing so, they complement the Torah's lessons in deeds, which is the mitzvos. Complementing that is the lessons, the Torah's lessons in values, which comes from these narratives, emulating the avos in imos. And we have a fundamental debate about how we are to approach the study of these people. How we are supposed to learn the lessons and values. This debate has existed throughout Jewish history and it continues today. And it underlies how we study every part of the Torah. Now, I do not have a complete solution for the problem that I'm going to outline with you this morning. But it is the basis of how we learn from the narratives in Beratius and throughout the rest of the Torah. And however we understand this dilemma that I'm going to share with you, We have to somehow grapple with both sides of this debate starting today and while we study every single narrative in the Torah. So let's go back to our original question. How could Avram suggest a strategy that puts Sarah in danger and appears to save himself? A number of scholars answer that original question in the following way. Rav Hirsch is one of those who gives this answer. And he says, what Avraham did and said was a hundred percent correct and moral because as Avraham and Sarah feared Mitzrayim, Egypt, was a place of danger because of Sarah's beauty, because of the immorality of the people living in Mitzrayim at that time. The fact that Avraham and Sarah were married to each other meant that Avraham was in a situation of Sakonis Nefashas. His life was in danger the people there would kill him if he was married to a woman that they wanted to take. And if his life is in danger, if God forbid he would be killed, then Sarah would be taken. That was the assumption of what would happen. And therefore, in Avraham's judgment, there were only two choices. Either Sarah is taken and Avraham is killed, in which case there is no one left to save Sarah, she's doomed, or Sarah is taken and Avraham remains alive by claiming to be her brother and then he has a chance to save her. Explains Rev Hirsch, when Avram says, say please that you are my sister in order that it should be good for me on your behalf, it means if they think that you are not married to me and that you are my sister and I am your brother, they are going to treat me well and not kill me. Meaning, they're going to keep me alive. There's no reason to kill me if they can take you and you're not married to me. Which means the chaisa nafshi they will keep me alive because of what you say. If you say you're my sister, they have no reason to kill me, and I will be able to save you. In fact, that's exactly what happens. And therefore, says Reversh. The lie was called for. It was permitted under the circumstances. It was appropriate to the situation that they faced. And Avram acted completely correctly. That's one approach taken by Hirsch, taken by other commentators, some with slight permutations of how they explain it. But that's one approach taken by many of our commentators. The Ramban, Nachmanides, the Radak, and others disagree with this interpretation. The Ramban Nachmanides writes, "Veda," and you should know, Ki Avram Avinu chata chet gadol bishgaga, Avram Avinu committed a great sin, not a willful sin. An inadvertent sin, but a great sin nonetheless. Shehavi bemirshal He brought his righteous wife to a situation of placing her in danger. He did it mitne pachto He did it because he was afraid that maybe he would be killed. But he did not have the right to put his wife in danger just because he was worried about his own safety. We have a general principle in Jewish life. We're not allowed to sacrifice one life to save another life. He should not have done that, says the Ramban and the Radak and others. He should have found some other way. Now, Let's take a step back from this individual narrative. Underlying these two different ways of interpreting this specific passage is a more global question. And this applies when we analyze any narrative in the Torah. And that is, are we to assume when we study Torah that the Avos and the yimohos, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, that they are perfect, that their actions are always correct and beyond reproach. Their greatness is so much beyond our understanding, and we are not permitted to ever criticize them. And if we should see something that appears to us that they have done something wrong, we are required to interpret it in a way that shows that their action is completely correct, and this approach is exemplified in our passage by Rav Shmuel explaining that what Avram did is correct, and throughout the entire Torah, there are commentators who will take this approach in any given narrative to show that, no, what looks like a sin is not a sin. No, what looks like it was incorrect was not incorrect. It was the right thing, etc., etc., consistently through the Torah. And, while there are many scholars and commentators who support that approach, there are also many scholars that take a different approach. We look at them as people, great people, but still people capable of making mistakes. And sometimes the lesson we learn from them is what not to do, how not to behave, And there are many scholars who support this view. For example, in our passage, the Ramban, who criticizes Avraham for what he says. And both of these approaches, explains Rabbi J.J. Schachter, are problematic. Because to say that they are perfect and we cannot find fault with them, well, how can we learn from their virtue if we if we don't have the perfection that they had? How can they serve as role models for us? How are we supposed to emulate them when our rabbis tell us, Maisa, Avo, their actions are supposed to act as role models for us, but we're no, nothing like them. We're not imper- we're not always perfect. We have shortcomings, how can we expect be expected to live up to what they do? How can we even appreciate their greatness without knowing that sometimes they fell short and they struggled? If they, they didn't fall short and struggle ever, then how can we learn from them? Plus, what do we do with all the statements? in our rabbinic literature, in the Talmud, in the Midrash, that do find fault. For example, the Talmud says that we were slaves in Egypt because of certain shortcomings of Avram, And statements that find fault with every one of our heroes in the Torah. On the other hand, To say that we can criticize them is also problematic. Where do we draw the line? Are we to look at them precisely like you and me, subject uh, to, am I supposed to evaluate Avram the way I would, God forbid, evaluate myself with subject to my weaknesses and shortcomings and foibles? Clearly, we say in our prayers, Elokei Avram, Eloke, Eloke Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were so much greater than we can even imagine. They had a connection with God. They, they stood on a spiritual level we can never hope to reach. They were living their lives in a completely different dimension. Far be it from us. To apply our standards that we would apply to ourselves. To apply to these great people so much greater than we can even imagine. So the question for us is, where do we draw the line? What is legitimate criticism? And what is illegitimate criticism? And just to add one more layer to this problem... Presumably, how we describe them will relate to the context where we are describing them. For example, when you and I are speaking now, I want to teach Torah. Now, I want to teach Torah as authentically, as true as I can, but I also want to inspire all of us to love Torah, to love Judaism, to be proud of Torah, how can I do that while I am criticizing much of what our greatest heroes do? As I said at the beginning, I don't have the answer. Clearly, Torah has infinite complexity And multiple conflicting interpretations, and we will see both approaches throughout commentators of the Torah. I presume we should modulate between the two sides. When we excuse and rationalize behavior, we must also emphasize that we are to emulate our patriarchs and matriarchs. That these are lessons that are chosen for us to incorporate into our lives, even if the people we are learning about seem beyond our ability to emulate. And when we do criticize, we do so with caution. We do so with the humility that we are in the presence of giants. But this is a fundamental question in how we interpret every narrative of the Torah and the rest of the, especially in the book of B'raishas, but also through the rest of the Torah. Hopefully, like many different dilemmas in life, being aware of the problem, being aware that there are often two valid approaches to understanding a given narrative and a given personality. Being aware of this is the largest step we can take to dealing with it and to squeezing lessons from every single approach, one approach here and a different approach there that will elicit for us a combination of lessons that we can incorporate into our lives. My friends, I wanna wish you a great day and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.